This is Neil Schaefer, author of The Age of Influence. And you, my friend, are listening to My Quest for the Best with the one and only Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Neil Schaefer. Neil Schaefer is founder and president of the digital marketing agency, PDCA Social. He helps business leaders through their digital transformation of marketing and sales practices by enhancing or creating marketing strategy, influencer marketing, and social selling initiatives. Neil teaches digital media to executives at Rutgers University, the Irish Management Institute in Ireland, and one of the universities in Finland. He's fluent in Japanese and Mandarin Chinese. He's been invited to speak about digital media on four continents and in more than a dozen countries. Neil is the author of four published books on social media and hosts the Maximize Your Social Influence podcast. Neil is here to talk about his book, The Age of Influence, the power of influencers to elevate your brand. Welcome, Neil. Hey, thank you so much, Bill. It's an honor to be here. Great to have you. Neil, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? I'd have to say my own father. He was a elementary school teacher and he was a content creator. He used to create his own worksheets to help children better learn how to read and write. And, you know, he noticed that a lot of teachers in his school would borrow his materials. So one time he decided after coming home from school, he would actually put together a little textbook. And I'll never forget when I was a kid, he had the three-hole puncher out there. We had these brass fasteners and he created about 200 copies of this textbook called Fun and Games with Reading. He brought them to the California Teacher State Convention one weekend and he sold out. And from that, he launched his own publishing company. So he influenced me as a, as a content creator and publisher but also as a very, very successful entrepreneur, some, something he found later in his life, which is why I think, you know, we're never too late to do something new and to even launch a new business. That is such a cool example to have been there at the moment when it happened. And he came back all excited talking about how this really worked because it was a risk starting to publish that and he didn't know if people were going to buy it. When you think back on that, what are some of the impressions that that left you with about entrepreneurialism, taking the initiative, being someone who has valued content to share? Well, I think as my, and I was five years old when that happened, I still, like I said, remember putting together those books. I think what's happened when you're young, you don't realize the scale of things. And only after you're older, talking to my father and some of the people that he worked with, I think one of the smartest thing my dad did was he was an educator. He had a master's in education. He was not a business person. So he always hired a very, very smart VP, like a VP of operations to handle all that for him. So he could focus on his market and have someone crunch the numbers, do the operations. So very, very smart to always hire smart people. But also as his accountant, who, who's still alive, and actually he helps me with my business, um, said, Neil, you can only grow bigger if you hire people. Your dad grew bigger because he was constantly hiring people to scale and if you're not hiring people, you can't scale. And although in the digital age of today, there are different ways and different tools to help you scale, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. Unless you're delegating what you're doing and going above and beyond that and really adding value, you know, they say you should be working 
on your business, not in your business. And it's just a constant reminder that I have every day as to how can I scale this? How can I hire more people, more appropriate people? How can I hand off more work so I can stay more and more strategic? And I'm sure that every business leader listening is probably nodding as I say this. Neil, it's so true for every entrepreneur listening. And since Michael Gerber wrote the book on the e-myth, that's what people have really been eager to understand is how to differentiate those roles so that you can hire people to do the jobs that they're great at that you're not necessarily great at. We only can grow. And this is true whether we're in pandemic times or post-pandemic times. Everyone's business can only grow to the degree which you can offload and specialize so people are working on their best areas to make a contribution to the business. So that's an example that really serves everyone to be reminded of. Absolutely. I think that my father was smart and he worked with influencers. And what I mean by this is he worked with other content creators. He wrote the first two books, but he didn't write many of the books afterwards. He would The publishing firm had his name in it, but he would vet great content creators and collaborate with them. There was one great content creator who was a teacher who did lots of seminars and workshops. So he branched into that operation of now not just workbooks, but also actual workshops and seminars together with this influencer. Together, they were very, very successful. So I think that this this notion of collaboration, you know, it's always been in business and hopefully every business owner is trying to find ways to collaborate, but social media and, and sort of the digital landscape give you unprecedented opportunities to create collaborative relationships, not just with content creators, but with others in, in, in relevant industry industries or even in your own industry. So that's what excites me most about the digital age we live in today. And that focus and specialization makes such a difference. Neil, as you've understood it from the inside out, how is it that influencer marketing works? If someone hasn't heard of it before or if they only have small pieces of it, give us the big picture and summarize one or two of the benefits of how influencer marketing works. Sure. So, you know, I think we're caught up in thinking of influencers as the Kim Kardashians or they're people with a million followers. They're going to be really expensive. And if we're in B2B, they're completely irrelevant to our business. And I think that this is part of the, the misnomer that most people have. You know, when we talk about digital influence, let's think about our customers, especially with the pandemic we're in. We need to be where they are. And that means, where are they? Well, they're, they're either searching for content, they're reading emails, or they're in social media. These are the three primary things that people do when they're online. So the social piece, yes, that's where we talk about these different influencers. But you know, there are influencers on LinkedIn, there are influencers on Twitter, there are influencers on Pinterest. And yes, there are influencers on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube. So really it begins with where is your audience and how can you better engage with them? But I think what gets even more compelling is the fact that your audience is searching for content, right? So there's tremendous influencers that are out there in the blogosphere. Or if you're and customer listens to podcasts, what about podcasters as influencers? Email, obviously, you know, there, there are ways of working with influencers on, but what it comes down is that people are consuming a lot of content. And sometimes they're searching for content which they do on Google, sometimes they just see content when they're on social media. And sometimes they listen to content or view content, listening on podcasts or viewing on YouTube. So the idea is that the people that have influenced today are content creators. And if we can collaborate with content creators or people that just have larger followings than us, then that can definitely help us. Now, in the influencer marketing industry, 
they used to say you need to have you know 100,000 followers or 10,000 followers. Now the latest definition of the minimal nano influencers, they call them, has a thousand followers. So you know you look around you, and in my book, The Age of Influence, I, I say before looking at people you don't know, what about people you do know? Do you have any employees that ha- might have a thousand followers in any given social network? If you're in B2B, hopefully you have some salespeople on LinkedIn and have a thousand connections, for instance, right? Do you have any customers? Have you gone through your database? Do you understand your customers? Where are they in digital and social media? Do you have any partners, you know, resellers, distributors that have a bigger presence than you do on social media? Or maybe they have a very active blog. Maybe they podcast. These are all, you know, people that already like, know, and trust you. If you were to reach out to them, there's a great chance that they would love to collaborate with you because they already love your brand. They already love your company. They're, they're already a user. And it's just finding a way to work together with them that makes sense. And I think that you know another sort of issue that people have is they assume that they're going to send a product and the influencer is going to post about it. But I think today, most brands realize that just getting great content created by employees or by customers or by your fans, that alone has enough ROI, has enough value, right? Instead of outsourcing some of the content to people that don't know you, why wouldn't you work with people that already know you to create better content? And that content performs better on social media, performs better on email, it performs better on your website, it performs better on your shopping cart. So I believe that that's really the greatest way to start is looking around you and seeing who might be a, you know, the definition of an influencer is someone that has an active you know, user base or community on social media, and they're a content creator, right? So who might there be out there that you might be able to tap into? And if they aren't out there, you can use social media to develop relationships, not with people that have a million followers, but people that have a thousand followers, but seem to get a lot of engagement in your industry when you, when you see them on LinkedIn or you see them on Twitter or whatever social network it might be. So that's that's really the best way to think about it. It's, it's, a, it's a collaborative or a series of collaborative relationships that can help you with content creation, with content amplification. I think that just some really easy to understand examples of this are when you see businesses have these blog posts with expert interviews or expert quotes. They're reaching out to 10 or 20 or 30 influencers, getting their quote in hopes that this influencer will share that blog post with their audience. That is influencer marketing. If you're doing affiliate marketing, you're tapping into someone that has a big audience and you're hoping that they share your product. That is a type of influencer marketing. This podcast, you know, podcast interviews, there are podcasters that just interview influencers and the influencers share that podcast with their followers. And and a once unknown podcast becomes bigger and bigger because of that, right? Um, These are all examples of tapping into someone with bigger digital influence. So, you know, let, let's do a reset on our mindset. And with this mindset, I believe that there's not one industry that couldn't use influencers, all these different types of people that already are brand affinity with you. There's not one company that couldn't or shouldn't use them. So, yeah, let me, let's probe into this a little bit. What's an example of a B2B company that's able to use collaboration, maybe with its customers or maybe with its employees, in order to develop content that's helped raise its profile in some measurable way. Maybe it's sales. Maybe it's just being customers being more self-sufficient or more innovative in using their product. From your research or your consulting with the companies that you've dealt with, what's an example 
that people may not have heard of that could help bring this into vivid reality? Yeah, real easy to use example of one of my clients who are in the B2B uh, SaaS startup space. And they happen to have a tool that helps with remote work or you know r- remote projects. So the timing is perfect for them, right? But they're a startup and nobody knows about them. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to build up their, their email list. They're trying to use marketing automation and they don't have any lead magnets, but they want to do webinars. So, they, and they started with zero uh, when, when I first started working with them. So there's, there's zero community in social media, but they understand webinars can be very, very powerful, especially after the pandemic. We know that a lot of people are tuning into these webinars and they feel that if they were able to get on a webinar, they can better showcase their product if the relevant audience is there. So we started working with other companies in related industries, basically finding them on Twitter, doing a little bit of research as to, you know, who's following our competitors, who starts to follow us as we start, you know, posting content about what we do and reaching out to, you would call them nano influencers, you know, uh, companies that have 500 followers, a thousand followers, 2000 followers, or, or people inside those companies that are of the relevant job title and saying, hey, you know, we're putting together a series of webinars. Would you love to participate in the webinar? It doesn't cost you anything. We're going to promote it. You'll get free promotion. And although we've only started to do, you know, we only have one webinar under our belt, you know, compared to doing Google ads and paying Google a tremendous amount of money to get people to sort of try a demo of our product, we found that this form of collaborating, number one, was free. We're not paying these people anything to be on the webinar. They're getting free promotion. And number two, we find that we get a few dozen people, which to a lot of companies may not sound like much, but when you're just starting, a few dozen people that have an interest in your product that join the webinar from an introduction because we were able to bring these people together, that has monetary value compared to the leads that we were paying a lot of money to get from Google or LinkedIn for that matter. We've we've done ad campaigns at various platforms. So that's one really, really easy to understand use case scenario of tapping into influencers in your industry or collaborating with influencers, I should say, for something that has real monetary value. And could you clarify what it is that the people who participate in the webinar get out of it other than just a, a real up-close look at the product and the ability to ask questions while the webinar is taking place? Well, the webinar is less about the product and more about the solution, more about how do you handle remote work challenges? So we are bringing on, basically, some of them are companies that offer different solutions. Some of them are people that have to manage these challenges, like remote work managers, let's say. So the, the webinar is more of your classic content marketing of offering solutions uh, and talking about the problems and the challenges and the different things that different companies or people have done. Obviously, as the organizer and one of the participants, we're showcasing the tool as a way to say, well, this is our approach. This is how we help companies solve the problem. So it's sort of a natural sell. And obviously, when we reach out to people after that as part of the marketing automation, we begin to do more of that and and try to get people to try out the tool, obviously. I was making the wrong assumption about it being just a webinar, which is just being taught. This is as much as an online focus group where you're asking people, what are the challenges that you're facing? How do you deal with them? Where does that solution fall short? What would you love to have ideally? Oh, really? That's a feature you'd love to have? Why don't I demonstrate how this product, which you may not have heard of before, actually does something like that? Is that sort of the flow? Well, no, because we're basically the moderators. We're inviting panelists 
that are actual managers, directors that are describing how they solve the challenges. So it's not direct to consumer, it's other businesses. You could call them target clients, you know, target customers, or you might consider some of the other companies that participate quasi partners. But it, it's all around a theme towards the manager director level at which we're targeting that gets them thinking that, that starts to look at our company as a resource where if they're looking to solve a problem, you know, they're going to find information on the webinar and hopefully they're going to, you know, keep staying tuned to our, our marketing messages. And hopefully at some point they're going to give us a try. I get it. And it's broader in nature and more specifically focused than a webinar where you imagine just sitting through and watching someone deliver slides. This is an interactive conversation that you're hosting. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, Bill, the, the idea is that if we were going to do it ourselves, we have no, nobody knows about us. We're a newcomer. We're a startup. So we'd have to spend a lot of advertising money trying to promote the webinar. Now it's more, it's more naturally organically promoted because our partners, these influencers, are promoting it to their networks. And also, it gives us some credibility because we're working with people that have titles at companies that, that other people might have heard of. So when we do, you know, we do do a little bit of advertising spend, but just, you know, comparing cost per lead, doing it this way, working with influencers on this sort of collaborative approach to a webinar versus if we were going to do it ourselves and advertise on Google and social, it's just a, a compelling value proposition. It's just much more cost effective. And I think the audience that we're able to get is very, very targeted and vetted. You're getting exactly the group of people that you want on there. And it leads to a really productive conversation that people could see is very problem solution focused. So there's value for everyone who listens and participates. Absolutely. And there's other fringe benefits. I mean, we get to tap into the ideas of others as well. We get to see what sort of content or, or topics resonates with the audience. And this may help us better position our product or service on our web copy or maybe creating new blog content. But it just, you know, I, I think that businesses today after this pandemic where you don't have trade shows, what have you, they need a direct connection to their end user or to their customer if it's B2C. And you need to be thinking of creative ways to do this. And I do believe when done right, and I've seen a lot of businesses, Bill, after this pandemic started, of doing webinars. And a lot of them are customer education focused, right? You know, teaching them either broader subjects like this, or if they're already a well-known entity, you know, here's how to better use our tool. But it's a very, very valid tactic. And, you know, if you want to go broad and you want to get new people to find out about your company, that's when you want to collaborate with others. And hopefully they have some amount of influence that they can drive new people to, to actually come to the webinar and therefore become members of, of your marketing automation list. You're known for making the distinction that social media is first and foremost a platform for people, not brands. So brands are at a disadvantage. Can you elaborate on that position, please? Yeah, this is part of a mindset shift that I think businesses need to understand. You know, at the end of the day, social media was made for people, right? Uh, you know, ads did not exist at the beginning on, on a platform, even like Facebook. It was for college students. And, you know, LinkedIn was for trusted professional networks. And I think that when we look at it that way, there's a few important things that we understand. Number one, that our content has to outperform that of people. Now, on a B2C platform like Instagram, that's really, really hard to duplicate the authenticity of an average person and their perspective on the world versus our product-centric you know, picture that probably looks like an advertisement to most people. Um, on B2B, I mean, it's the same thing. Businesses like to create content around products instead of solving problems. And people are really good about the problems and, and sort of how they solve them. So 
you know, we're at a disadvantage in that aspect and that people are just going to be better content creators around general lifestyle content or general sort of problem solving content, right? Not to say that businesses can't get better because they should, but if you think you're at a disadvantage, it makes you think a little bit harder, not just thinking, oh, I have this content, I need to publish it to any and every social network, but maybe, you know what, that content's not relevant for that social network, or maybe we need to position it in a completely different way for a different social network. It's really thinking when you think you're at a disadvantage, you work a little bit harder to make sure that when you publish content, it's with intent, it's with purpose, and it actually has a chance to be seen. Because, you know, going to the next point, the way that social networking algorithms work is that if you don't get engagement on the content, then it doesn't perform well, and you just get very, very few impressions on that piece. So this is why it's really critical to understand that if you're just publishing content and no one's engaging, you get less and less visibility. And now we have social media truly becoming pay to play for your company. And then when it's pay to play, your social media presence is just, you know, pure advertising. And there's a lot of people who tune out of advertising. They can see it as an advertisement in the feed. They see sponsored by and they immediately tune out. So once we see it this way, I believe we see more value in collaborating with other people because if people rule the algorithms. And I talked to a lot of business owners who, when I asked them how they got to be where they were without digital or social media, they talk about word of mouth, right? If we really want to incite that word of mouth, that is the cornerstone of the success of so many businesses, we can't do it ourselves. It's just not the way that social media works for businesses. We need to have other people do it for us. And this is where I talk about the concept of influencers, starting with your employees, your customers, your fans, your partners, and finding ways to collaborate to get that word of mouth out. And then you're not necessarily at that disadvantage. You have an army of people that are talking on your behalf. And I think that's the ideal. But I think, you know, the clients that I work with, you know, one of the companies is a hair color company. This is a B2C company. And they sell into the Walmarts and the CVSs. And they also have their own e-commerce store and they sell on Amazon. But we literally measure all the different marketing channels. And we just measure organic social as part of paid social, because it, it really has become pay to play in so many different industries for so many companies. Well, I'm going to speak for every business leader or entrepreneur who's produced content online in, say, a YouTube video. And it's required a lot of thought and effort to put some valuable message online and share it with people and expecting it to get thousands or tens of thousands of views and responses. And instead, feeling utterly discouraged and devastated when they happen to click and see that a, a video showing two cats chasing each other down a hall is getting like 5 million hit and it just leaves your work, which you think is far superior in the digital dust. I think that's important to really focus on what Neil just described, which is the importance of creating content with a specific intent, purpose, and then putting it where the people who are most likely to benefit from it and engage with it will be found. That's where you're using it in the best ways possible. And it may require you thinking differently about it and adopting different mindsets. And it's certainly going to require you to develop different KPIs about how you're going to measure your success. Absolutely. You know, one of the case studies I like to share is Intuit, who are the makers of QuickBooks, right? Which a lot of, which powers the accounting for a lot of small businesses. So they have their own, you could call it a VIP partner program. And I, I was introduced from someone at Intuit, you know, preparing for a speech. 
And she introduced me to, you know, this guy named Hector Garcia is one of our 200 ambassadors. You should check him out. This guy has like hundreds of thousands of, of subscribers, you know, and, and views on YouTube for videos like how to use QuickBooks. Now, Intuit, I'm sure, has all the same videos, but it's coming from a person. It's not coming from a company logo. And people can be more nimble in their content. They can bring up things in a different way that, that companies couldn't. So part of their success is, is part of leveraging these influencers and the amazing content that they create so that you have two different ways of finding that content on YouTube instead of one just coming from the brand because they have all these people talking about them. And that's really a great way of thinking about it. It, it requires you to think about your KPIs a little bit differently. I mean, you could go in and calculate all 200 people talking about you as part of the impressions you're getting, as if you're being published in 200 magazines. And maybe that's the correct way to look at it. But you can just imagine the power that that has for them. And I think this is something that any business can replicate. Wow, that is really powerful. I think that everyone can find customers who are talking about their product or engage with them by talking about their product on social media and starting to use that. Neil, how can a business employee be a social media influencer for the company? What are some of the opportunities and what are the risks that need to be addressed in order for it to work effectively? Employee as influencer is a very, very new concept that I've been talking a lot about. It's gotten a lot of interest. First of all, we need to understand that most employees are not influencers, right? You might have a few. And like I said, if you're B2B, it might be your salespeople using LinkedIn. I think the important thing is that you're not forcing this upon employees, but you're trying to find a collaborative relationship. I think most employees generally want to want to help their employer, right? So hey, we have a social media program, we have, we have content marketing, we're doing all this. How might we be able to work together? And I have found, Bill, this is a very, very interesting case study that I, I wrote in my book, is of a consumer packaged good company. They're, they're one of the best known brands in the world. And, and they found a lot of great people talking about them in social media, but they were the nano influencer. And in fact, their content was not as good as some of the other influencers they saw. So they put together a program, they invited these nano influencers to become part of the program, and now they're training these influencers on how to take better photos, how to take better video, how to write better copy. And I think this is a great example of what businesses could do by saying, hey, we know that you're active on social, we'd love to work together, right? What can we help you on? And I know that some companies will have a photographer come and they'll have a photo day for, you know, professional looking headshots for, for their LinkedIn profile. But above and beyond that, it's teaching your employees how to do better at personal branding, at content creation, right? Because the time and money and effort that you spend investing in them is going to result in better content. It's going to help make them become more influential. And then indirectly, it's going to help you as well. So I believe this is sort of the hallmark. If anyone is thinking of doing this, you know, take a pause on all the sort of content you're creating and all that and think about how can we work together with these people, uh, you know, starting with employees of, hey, you know, how can we do better with our content? Um, how can we help you with your content? Are there ways in which we can incorporate your content into what we do? And that's really a great starting point to find a win-win. And slowly, instead of, you know, having someone internally that's focused just on writing right or, or outsourcing to an agency or what have you, you begin to tap into this internal resource. And that's just the easiest way to get started with all this. I think another way of looking at this is, well, you know, what are the questions that our employees get asked when they meet with customers? Or what questions do our customer support people get asked? This, this should be a part of your content marketing process. But if it's not, 
this is another easy way to get started. What about, you know, we're, we're a technology driven company. What about the people that understand the technology the most are, are, you know, are, R&D engineers, how do we work them into this as well, right? Maybe we do a webinar together with them because these are the people that our customers really want to get access to, for instance. So there's a lot of different ways to think about it, but that's the sort of you know thought process and starting point that I'd, I'd like every company listening to think about. And then, you know, specifically, if you're in B2B, your salespeople are so important. Every salesperson should be considered an influencer in their industry, in their community. And I, you know, that's a challenge for any business owner listening to help make that happen, because I think that your company will reap benefits from that. You'll start getting a lot more inbound leads and those inbound leads aren't necessarily going to come to your website. They're actually going to come directly to your salespeople. I could definitely see that happening where people are reaching directly to the salespeople of a company that they really love doing business with. Neil, I remember back probably 10 years ago, it was before 2010, when magazines were profiling companies and saying, well, look, of all the Fortune 500 companies, they have maybe two dozen CEOs who are writing blogs versus the Inc. 500, where they have 80% of the CEOs or presidents writing blogs. And it's not just about getting out there and doing it, but I, th- I hope that people listen carefully to the, the fact that when you create content in the very direct ways you do it or the creative and innovative ways that you do it, quality matters. You just can't produce things based upon a schedule. It just performs better when there's quality, thought, intent, and a strategy behind it. Do you support that? Can you emphasize it or uh, qualify that in some way? Oh, absolutely. I think if we look at the number of influencers and how influential they are, we have that sort of amount of influence by number of followers. Then we have that brand affinity model of influence where your employees should like, know, and trust your brand the most. But within the employees, the executives should have the most influence. You know, I go back to my days before social media, where I was a VP of sales in Asia for a a startup software company, actually out of Ottawa, Canada. And I found that when our founder and CEO would come to my customers, first of all, it would give me access to the CEOs and the executive team that it was hard for me myself to get access to sometimes in, in certain large companies. But when I brought my founder and CEO out, he had these stories that I just didn't know, right? the stories of, of how the company started, the stories of, of how they're helping a, a client in Europe or a client in the United States, just things that it's impossible for every salesperson to know about. And I think that executives have these stories about their own company and it's tremendous IP and it's it goes to waste when it's not shared. So I, I do believe that, and if you want your employees to share content, you need to start from above, right? If the employees see that their CEO is blogging or their VP of sales is very active on LinkedIn, it obviously sends the right message to everybody and you're practicing what you preach. But on a more important level, you know, when the influencer is the executive, it directly speaks to what that company is about, their culture, their experience, their skill set, their branding. It is, it is the most powerful way of leveraging an employee's influencer. So I encourage everybody, you know, think about if you're listening and you haven't been active, what are some of those stories that you can share about your company or just about your professional experience that would really drive, you know, relevant business, relevant people to your website, to your social media profiles. I think that everybody listening has the potential to do that. And Neil, I'll just underscore that from my own experience with CEOs and their management teams. These are the stories that make the biggest difference, not just in getting to know who they are, 
but also in attracting new customers, in attracting new employees, attracting and building relationships with partners, and also retaining those relationships. Sometimes it's just hearing that you share values or common interests with someone in the company who wanted to share and put it out there either in written form, audio form, or video form, what a difference it makes to build those business relationships. Absolutely. I, I think of Warren Buffett <laughs> as a great example. If you've ever considered doing business with a Warren Buffett-related company, and then you see Warren Buffett speaking on a video and sharing those core values, it sells itself, right? And I, you know, that's a really great example. I, I know we can't all be Warren Buffett's in our lifetime, but it really does come down to those values, especially if you're going to do business with another company. Do you know, like, and trust them? And when you know, like, and trust the CEO through their content, that's going to give your company definitely a leg up on your competition. Neil, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best Lightning Round? Bring it on, my friend. Earlier, I asked you about someone who influenced you growing up. And you told us about your dad as a teacher. In your teenage years, what's a song you found inspiring? Wow. Well, in my teenage years, I was very much into music, let's put it that way. It's funny because the, the, the songs that really resonated with me, the lyrics weren't necessarily affiliated with it, but something like New Year's Day by U2 or 4th of July by X, things that made me appreciate the time of year, but also sort of gave me inspiration to do more. What's the most effective way that you've found to get the word out about your mission each week during this time of the pandemic lockdown? I have become a big fan of podcasting. And I have found of all the content mediums, when I look at the data, it shows that my podcast probably has the biggest impact, but it also gives me a direct way to keep in touch with my community and hopefully serve them. In the last six months or so, what would you say is the best $100 or so purchase you've made? The best $100 purchase I've made is probably this external video camera. So I have a MacBook Pro. You just look so much better for a very, very small investment. What would you say is the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? The habit that I've stopped is not doing everything just because I think I have to, you know, in your business. Customers come first, revenue comes first. And for someone that does social media and digital media for a living, it's okay to take time off. A lot of times, especially during this pandemic, one of the things that gets overlooked is the need for self-care and time to rejuvenate, recharge, and refresh yourself by stepping away so that when you come back, you bring that renewed energy and creativity and fresh perspective because you've gotten sleep and you've gotten out and gotten some more sun, maybe some recreation in order to come back fully focused and recharged and ready to go. Neil, talk about the agency you started, the, the PDCA Social Agency. Now, I read what that means. Do you want to share what the PDCA stands for and how that fits into your approach to making companies successful through social media? Sure. So I started my career in Japan. I worked for a semiconductor manufacturer, quite big about quality control, as you can imagine. And in the semiconductor manufacturer, even though I was in a sales role, Every employee at a certain point had to take this training, and the training included training on what's called the Deming Circle. Now, Professor Edwards Deming, for those that don't know, is considered the godfather of quality control, and he created something called the Deming Circle, which is something very simple yet very eloquent called you know, PDCA. So he created this, this concept for managing experiments. And how do you manage an experiment? You plan it, 
right? You do according to your plan, you check how you did, and then you act upon it or optimize it. And it's never ending circle Kaizen. Fast forward to 2010, January, I just launched my company. And at the beginning, I was a social media marketing consultancy. So companies were coming to me looking for help on their social media strategy. And I was trying to create a framework as to what that should look like because there were none to borrow off on. It was still very new at the time. And that's when I you know, connected my dots in, in terms of that Steve Jobs famous Stanford University speech and realized that that framework was extremely applicable to social media marketing. Because what I found most companies, they never had a plan. They were just doing and therefore, they didn't know what to check and they didn't know what to optimize and they couldn't figure out their ROI. Thing. If you treat social media, and I would argue digital media, as one big experiment, you become very data-driven in your approach. You become more agile and hopefully you get more and more successful, more and more effective with each iteration. So I've stood by that. Now, in 2016, one of my consulting clients was actually a startup. They didn't have the resource here in the United States to do this. So they said, Neil, can, can you and your staff provide that resource? And that's when I went from a consultancy to an agency and we did everything for them. But it all goes according to that PDCA concept. So, you know, one of my niches, Bill, is helping Japanese companies with their digital and social media, both in Japan and the United States. So when I thought of the brand, because my company wasn't originally known as PDCA Social, I thought that would be the perfect brand because every Japanese company knows the concept and they know when they work with me that that's what I'm implementing, that I live and breathe it. So it's just a great brand to have. In the United States, I have to do a lot of explaining like I just did now, but I think it's still a great brand to have. And right there, you're demonstrating that PDCA is something that you could take to your Japanese clients and prospects, and they immediately can feel that affinity and trust because it's baked right into your company. It's embedded in the name and the processes, and they they know and trust you more because of that than if you had simply named it Neil Schaefer, though that, again, probably would have been a really strong brand. Yeah. And, you know, I, I obviously do have neilschafer.com as, as my main brand. And on LinkedIn, my company name is LinkedIn, is, uh, is neilschafer.com. But, but for Japan, yes, it, it's part of my DNA. And, you know, how it works. I mean, that, that first client, we were looking at uh, different social networks and, and they had a budget for uh, paid advertising. So, well, let's do Facebook. I said, well, let's also try Twitter. And we ended up getting a better cost per conversion on Twitter because the concept that we were doing AB testing, and we were letting the data make our decisions through that experimentation. And they ended up being extremely successful. The, the Twitter ads folks reached out to me asking to you know, do a case study about them. We had uh, the Dr. Oz show reach out to us after being on Twitter from zero in 90 days, you know, asking to, to interview the CEO for the Dr. Oz show, right? And their product. So I know that this stuff works, but you, it only works after you get that data. And in order to get the data, you got to do it. There's no other way around it. Now, you've been so generous with sharing your ideas, your wisdom, your experience to help us understand more about the rise of influence and influencer marketing. I want to thank you for talking about and sharing about your father, who was a content creator as an elementary school teacher, and reminding us that you can, through his accountant, reminding us that you can only grow bigger when you hire smarter. I want to thank you for teaching us about influencer marketing and dispelling some of the myths that it's all about big money, huge followers, and irrelevant to B2B because each of those is not the case 
And you've shown through your examples and through your client work how effective influencer marketing can be for small businesses and those who aren't enterprise brands. You've talked about the importance of great content and how it could come from sources that we just don't always think about, where our employees, our customers, and our fans can be useful in helping generate that content. You gave us the example of the B2B SaaS company that created a webinar and influence, um, invited people in who were customers and prospective customers to talk about how they were using other tools and what they needed in order to learn more effectively about how to sell that SaaS product. You talked about the importance of how people come first, not brands, and the advantages that that gives people who participate in social media effectively and strategically. You shared with us the hair color B2C company and how they used it and measured their social outreach as paid outreach. We talked about how Intuit used QuickBooks and was able to connect with one of their super fans, Hector Garcia. And we talked about the importance of, in your company, the importance of using the PDCA methodology and how that's led to opening a lot of doors in Japan and I think other areas of Asia as well. So for all these reasons and more, Neil, I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Bill, thank you so much. It's it's uh, been an enlightening conversation and you are the master of summarizing uh, in real time what I just talked about. So thank you. Neil Schaefer, author of The Age of Influence, The Power of Influencers to Elevate Your Brand. Thanks once again for joining me on my quest for the best. And before we say goodbye for now, Neil, could you share with us the best website to find out more about you and your work online? It will be my name. That's neilschafer.com. I am the real Neil. So it's N-E-A-L. And there's a few Schaefers out there in sales and marketing that you might've heard of. My last name is spelled S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R. Neil, we're going to link to that in the show notes to make it so easy for people to find you. We're going to link to your, not only this book, but your previous books as well, as well as many of the resources and examples that we covered in the interview. So I want to thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best. It's been my pleasure and honor. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app, so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.